We awoke this morning to news of a tragic shooting in the East End that left one dead and 14 injured. While this incident is not being called an act of terrorism, it is no doubt a tragedy, and it brings up in all of us fears about the ongoing scourge of gun violence in our communities. I know that as this story unfolds, we will all be prayerful for the victims, the shooter, and all of those who are touched most closely by these events in our community. This morning's sermon may be difficult because today's events are difficult, and also because this sermon arises out of a text that is a difficult one. If we are honest people and honest readers of the Bible, we choose not to shy away from these difficulties, but are honest about them. There is no easy explanation for the suffering and pain that exists in our world, nor is there an easy explanation for the suffering of Jesus on the cross. And I will use a primary illustration this morning in my sermon with which some of you may connect and others of you may not. It is always my prayer that where my ability as an interpreter of the Bible comes up short, God begins the real work. And so I pray that whatever your responses to this morning's scripture and message may be, as always, I wish for you to know that my door is open if you would like to respond. Let us pray together. God, in the midst of a suffering world, for people in our own city and the world round, open our hearts this morning to the truth that you are with us and that you care. Show us signs of hope through your love and understanding. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I write most of my sermons on Monday mornings and Thursday mornings. Not much of this writing happens here at the church. When I'm here in the building, I like to have my office door open, the phone rings, the email pings. All of this is important, and so when I want to focus on writing, I'm usually at home or maybe in a coffee shop. When you're writing a sermon on a difficult text, the wrong time or the wrong location can make a difference, and this week's lesson is an example of that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, says Jesus. How could you possibly write about that phrase unless you were in a dark place? This past Thursday, I didn't really think about that, and I found myself in a cozy little coffee shop at a table by the front window, the sun streaming through, warming me up, and a nice hot cup of coffee in my hand, and I just couldn't come up with anything to say about, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? And then the disconnect between the text and my surroundings grew even worse. Two people I know came into the coffee shop, a mother and her precious four-year-old daughter. 
By the time that we noticed each other, they had settled into the table immediately across the aisle from me. I was happy to see them. They were actually a welcome uh, interruption from my writer's block. And we chatted for a few minutes, and the little girl told me about the ham and cheese sandwich she had been looking forward to all morning. And then while I tried to go back to work, they ordered their lunch, and they colored with crayons on their placemats, and they read a story together. It made me think of one of my earliest memories, of eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at a diner with my mommy when I was just a little boy. Just me and mommy. What could be more perfect than that? So there I was, with that mother and daughter across the aisle, and the sermon page sat blank in front of me, save the words at the top, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How could I possibly write a sermon on that with such a beautiful scene going on right in front of me? I started thinking about something else eventually. There's a show on TV these days. It's called This Is Us. It's a drama that follows the complicated story of a family and the relationships between the parents and the children. This complicated family begins when a young father addicted to heroin leaves his newborn son at a fire station in hopes of him finding a better life. The little boy is adopted by another family, raised with a brother and a sister. But before those three children are fully grown, the father of that family will die as well. I'm watching some heads nod out there. This show is popular. It's becoming well-known because it is so gripping to see the powerful story of this family, this very good and loving family. It's incredible to witness the complicated lives of these children and parents who have been separated from one another. I've been watching that show this year. And I thought of it last Thursday morning as I sat and struggled to write a sermon on the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thought about it as I watched that mother and her daughter in the coffee shop, coloring, reading together, eating a ham and cheese sandwich. And then it hit me. How absolutely tragic to think that the beauty of that relationship could be lost. That a parent and a child could be separated. And that happens all the time. The story of Jesus crying out to God on the cross is a story about a parent and a child, God and Jesus. Every day, there are parents who lose children and children who lose their parents. Illness, accidents, estrangement, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, like those people in the nightclub last night, many of whom I'm sure had children and all of whom somewhere have a parent. 
human life is extremely risky stuff. Because human beings are free and sometimes the unthinkable happens and parents and children lose one another. The cross is about God and God's Son, Jesus. It is about the separation of a parent and a child. The theologians say this is what the cross is about. God, who could have kept Jesus up in heaven, safe and sound and free from harm, allows Jesus to be born into the world. And this world, complete with all of its beauty, also is a world of tremendous risk. Jesus came into the world fully human and vulnerable to pain and suffering, just as you and I are. And when the world was not ready for the justice and love and peace that Jesus preached, people hung him on a cross to die, and God watched as Jesus died. For God had allowed Jesus to be human. And we wonder why this kind of separation ever has to happen. And perhaps Jesus wondered why God, his heavenly parent, his heavenly mother, heavenly father, could possibly have allowed this to happen. Is this why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did it happen this way? The theologian's answer to that is that God did this because of a thing we human beings call solidarity. Human people who suffer look to other people who understand. Alcoholics go to AA meetings. Veterans of war hang out at the VFW. People who have lost a loved one go to grief groups. People who suffer look for other people who understand. The rest of us can express our sympathies, we can listen, but that's really not the same. People need to know that someone else understands. People need to know that someone else cares in the same way that they do. The cross is God's show of solidarity with our deepest sufferings. God understands. God is not untouchable, invincible up in the heavens. God has lost a child, so there is no pain that you can understand as a human being that God cannot understand. Some people don't buy this argument. Perhaps it just doesn't seem right to think of God as being that vulnerable. Or perhaps it's tempting, knowing the way the story will end on Easter morning, to claim that this story really isn't so painful because God knows it'll turn out for the best. Those are valid critiques. 
And still the fact remains that this is far from the only story in the Bible that is like this one about the bond between members of a family. Over and over and over again, the Bible tells stories that seek to show how much God loves us by comparing God's love to the story of a family. It starts right away with Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve are the first family in creation, and they lose a child. Abraham agrees to sacrifice Isaac, his son, and we read that story and ask in amazement, how could any father allow this to happen? Ruth and Naomi show that the loyalty of family is not determined by blood. These two women have both lost their husband, and this mother and mother-in-law and daughter-in-law make a life together, promising each other, where you go, I will go. King David, perhaps the greatest hero of the Old Testament, is brought to his knees in, he, in tears when he learns that his estranged son is die, has died and they will not have a chance to reconcile. He hears the news and says, Absalom, my son, my son, would that I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son. What's the most memorable parable ever told by Jesus? For many, it's the prodigal son, the story of the loss of a relationship between a parent and a child, and the hope that perhaps one day it will be restored. As we heard in Jana's sermon just last week, when Jesus' life is over, when he is hanging on the cross and all of his friends have deserted him, still there is Mary, his mother, at the foot of the cross. And today we hear that Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And those words are not original to Jesus. He quotes them from Psalm 22 because he knows how many other people in the history of faith have been in the same place. There's simply no stronger bond than, that exists than that between family members who love one another. God knows this, and so to be sure that we don't, understand, don't miss it, that's what many of the stories of the Bible are about. The lives of parents and children, widows, in-laws, orphans and friends alike. God understands. This is a tough sermon, isn't it? It's hard to talk about suffering, but the fact is, people who suffer need to know that someone understands. Preachers know it's important for us to get across this idea that God understands, even though we ourselves usually don't understand as well as we should. I had a mentor, a preacher, named Casey Tomey. Casey was in his 60s, nearing retirement, when his son finally married. Finally, I say, because his son was one of those people who always really wanted to get married, and it just had never happened for him 
And then at the age of 42, he met her. And they were married, and everyone was overjoyed, his father as much as anyone, and it was two years of absolute bliss, and then there was cancer. And as suddenly as she had appeared, she was gone. And that father, that preacher, took six weeks off to be with his son. And when he climbed back into the pulpit the next Sunday, the first thing that he did was to apologize to his congregation, to widows and widowers and men and women who had lost children and children who had lost their parents. He said, I have spent four decades of my life at bedsides and gravesides with many of you, believing that I understood something of the depth of your pain And I realize now that I had no idea, and I am so sorry. Some of those who knew Casey said that after four decades as a preacher, he suffered a great tragedy in his own family, and that's when his best preaching began. Sometimes we don't understand The preacher up here may have no idea what you've been through. Maybe I've done nothing more than read about it in books. But God understands. We know that because God's Son Jesus is on the cross. And Jesus knows what it is like to feel loss, for we have heard him say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a tough sermon because it begins with a difficult idea, but that difficult reality comes with a beautiful truth. That God understands the pain in our lives. And perhaps even more incredible, perhaps just as amazing, is the fact that in spite of the riskiness of human life, people still have the courage to live. In the face of the many ways that life can go wrong, people keep on living. They go to movies and athletic events and to nightclubs to dance. People show this same courage in all kinds of ways. They choose to trust again after someone has betrayed them. They take a stand on an issue and risk to themselves in order to help somebody else. They take a chance on giving a job to an ex-convict or a person in recovery. They forgive someone who has caused them pain. They offer to help someone else who may not deserve it. Because of courage and faith, people still raise children. They still take them to coffee shops and read books and color on placemats, and share ham and cheese sandwiches. And this is because life is full of courageous acts that cause the world to keep on turning. And the truth and beauty of the cross is that God understands, 
And that understanding gives us the courage and hope to go on living. Amen.